Good morning, everyone, and welcome. My name is Meg McGuire, and I have the great privilege of serving as the ministerial intern here this year at the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. And I'm so glad you all are here this morning. If you haven't already, I'd encourage you to take a moment to download our order of service. You can find it on our website, it's in the description of this video, and it's emailed each week to everyone who receives our newsletter. So if you don't already receive that, you can sign up and get the order of service going forward. In your order of service, you'll find an overview of today's worship, lyrics to our hymns, upcoming events that Sam will take us through shortly, and the amazing list of people who are involved in bringing together this service. And as is our custom, I want to take a moment to name out loud those people. I want to thank Eric Shackelford and Shuli Ong, who are working our cameras this morning, Jonathan Silk, who pulls together AV and sound and really the live stream setup as a whole, Joe Chapeau, who is managing our chat, and Alex Dar, Les James, and Tom Brookshire, who host our Zoom coffee hour immediately after the service. Leland Jones, our sexton this morning, opened up the building and prepared this space, and Carrie Steer Salazar is responsible for the beautiful flowers. I want to thank also our musicians, Eric Hamilton on guitar, who we heard from just a moment ago, our song leaders, Maria Rodaninsky and Ben Rudiak Gould, and Mihwa Steger on piano. And thank you to Mark Sumner, who is instrumental in bringing together our musical offerings today and every Sunday, and whose birthday is today. Happy birthday, Mark. We are glad you were born. I am joined here on the chancel this morning by Sam King, our worship associate, and by our special guest preacher, Reverend Mr. Barb Grieve. Barb serves as Affiliated Community mis Minister of the, our congregation in Framingham, Massachusetts, is a hospice chaplain, and until this last year was one of our co-moderators of the Unitarian Universalist Association. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you preaching here with this morning. I also want to take a moment in gratitude and recognition for all of you who, while not here in body in this space, are felt here nevertheless. And so we begin, as we have each Sunday since last March, lighting our blue candle that we may bring your presence a bit more fully into this space until we are together again. We gather this morning in the midst of Memorial Day weekend, a weekend where we hold and remember and try to honor the human costs of war, recalling the strength and the service of all the people who have died in service and who suffer in the aftermath. We remember and we honor you today. Tomorrow, too, marks the 100th anniversary of an anti-black massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
known as the Black Wall Street Massacre or the Greenwood Massacre, an event which has been largely omitted from state and national histories, just this last year being introduced into the curriculum of Oklahoma public schools. And so we remember and we mourn these first and not last steps in the larger reckoning and repair to which we are called. And we do this together, for it is easier and more powerful in community. I'm glad you all are here. May our service this morning support us in this deeply human work. Welcome to worship, everyone. I invite you to join me now in singing our opening hymn, number 159. This is my song. invite you to join me now in a time of meditation held first in words and for a time in shared silence. This time can be many things different for each of us, for what this time means for us, for how this day finds us a time to catch up with ourselves, to listen to the feeling or longing that tugs at our heart, to create space for whatever it is that wants to come forth, 
or to honor that which must stay for now in the quiet. A time to remember, a time to grieve, to give thanks. Whatever this time must be for you, there is room for it here. And so we enter into this time of shared silence in a hundred different ways and together. Spirit of life, love beyond our naming. Today we remember those lives whose lives we make our lives upon. Those whose struggle and courage made the way to here. We remember those yet to come those whose lives we might dedicate our lives to, who might inspire our way forward. We remember the manifold connections here and now that knit our lives together, those plainly before us and those felt more acutely with attention. We offer up our gratitude for those connections, those before us and those yet to come. And we give thanks for the simplest gift that is being alive in this moment and the next one and the next one, each offering a new invitation to presence, commitment, and love. 
may we go forth this day attuned and accountable to these relations and the call of this moment. May it be so. Amen. As a kid, I wore my emotions on my sleeve. I can only remember my parents ever fighting once, but that freaked me out a little bit, and so after running around unsure for a few minutes, I went in my room and drew them a little picture to try to fix it, and I like to think that it did. There was a time when my parents painted over a piece of art in the house, and I hid under a table and cried because I liked the old painting Then my mom died. I cried, and then I had to move on, so I did. And since then, I haven't really grieved. Of course, I'm not the only one like that. It's not just a way of coping with death. In my high school health class, we read an excerpt from the book, The Mask of Masculinity, which talks about how boys are socialized not to cry and to view emotions as weak. And that echoes throughout the culture, in workplaces or relationships or families. Well, you're just getting emotional. M maybe you should sleep on it, clear your head.
And when somebody does have a strong emotion, it's always a problem to be solved with a therapist or a bottle or pills. It was good to read that because it helped me put a name to it and see it as a part of the culture. But that didn't change that I had internalized the mask of masculinity, that it was a part of me, that it still is, that I'm not the only one. And I don't even view it as a problem, not really. It doesn't feel like my grief is bottled up or repressed or unprocessed. It just feels like when tragedy happens, I can usually acknowledge it and then put one foot in front of the other and try to do what needs to be done. If you don't know what to do in times of grief, communal or individual, it's okay. I don't either. When somebody's crying, I never know how to comfort them. But I can get them some ice cream or help clean up. When a coworker reads the news and thinks that could have been me, I can take some of their meetings so they don't have to. Karen Blixen wrote, the cure for everything is salt water, sweat, tears, or the sea. Maybe we're just each using a different kind of salt water. And it's okay that we use different kinds of salt water. Our seventh principle calls on us to respect the interdependent web of existence of which we are a part. Interdependence doesn't mean that we all grieve the same way. It doesn't mean that there's one right way to grieve. Sometimes one person's heart is broken apart by cruelty or misfortune or death or life. And someone else has a heart that stubbornly refuses to break. Neither is wrong. When we respect our interdependence, it means that one person can shoulder the burden while the other one heals.
Our reading this morning is the poem In Flanders Fields by John McRae. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row that mark our place, and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, to you from failing hands we throw the torch, be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us, do not die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. This ends our reading this morning. Tomorrow marks the 50th official national observance of Memorial Day, though the origins of the day date further back. 
Tomorrow is a day we pause as a nation to honor and thank those who have served honorably and died bravely in this country's armed services. Soldiers whose lives were given, sometimes freely, sometimes not, to defending the ideals of our country, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Throughout history, soldiers have entered military life for a variety of reasons, whether that be family or societal expectation, a means to a better life for themselves and family, patriotism, belief in a particular cause, being drafted, or out of necessity. The reason for joining becomes less important than the impact serving can have. Memorial Day honors those who said yes to the call of duty, who faced and overcame their fears, ultimately giving of their lives in service to something bigger than themselves. The question of whether or not war is just, whether violence is ever the answer or not, these are important questions to ask, but they are questions for another day. Tomorrow, Memorial Day, is a day to honor the dead. Like many things in modern day life, Memorial Day has become a complicated day, or perhaps it always was a complicated day. It seems that in today's world, it is synonymous with the beginning of the summer season, which is coincidentally kicked off with this three-day weekend, or at least a three-day weekend for those who work Monday through Friday jobs that provide holidays off. It is connected to a weekend filled with sales for cars and electronics and everything in between. It is filled with barbecue parties and parades, or has been in the past and in no doubt will be again in the future. With the capitalist machine running full tilt forward, it is easy to forget the purpose of this day and its origins. If we consider the history of the day in backwards order, we are reminded that the day was moved from May 30th to the last Monday in May in the year 1971, when the Congress enacted the 1968 Uniform Monday Holiday Act, shifting the timing of most national holidays to be observed on Mondays in order to provide workers with several three-day weekends throughout the year. Perhaps this was the beginning of the infringement of capitalism in the observance of national holidays. Skipping forward just briefly to the year 2000, congressional approval encouraged all Americans to lower flags to half-mast from morning rise to noontime, after which they were to be returned to the top of the mast for the remainder of the day. Additionally, we are all asked to pause at 3 p.m. local time in observation of a national moment of remembrance, a holding of the grief we can hold together. While originally crafted to honor those who died in the Civil War, by the end of World War II, Memorial Day included honoring military personnel who had died in all wars in which this country has been involved. Their tradition continues to present day to present day and often includes veterans and soldiers placing flags and flowers on the graves of fallen comrades. Three years after the Civil War ended, General Order 11 was issued by John, General John A. Logan, who was then head of the Organization of Union Veterans, known as the Grand Army of the Republic, 
In it, he establishes Memorial Day's predecessor, Decoration Day. Legend has it that he chose the 30th of May as the date because it did not fall on the anniversary of any Civil War battles. Though other researchers suspect that he chose the day in hopes of it being late enough into spring that flowers would be in bloom regardless of geography. That General Order 11 reads in part that the day is designated for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet churchyard in the land. He continues later in the declaration to say, let us then at the time appointed gather around their sacred remains and garland the passionless mounds above them with the choicest flowers of springtime. Let us raise above them the dear old flag they saved from dishonor. Let us in this solemn presence renew our pledges to aid and assist those whom they have left among us as a sacred charge upon a nation's gratitude, the soldiers and sailors, widow and orphan. At least that is the official story. Like many of our American stories, they can both inform and obscure. Some scholars such as Yale University professor David W. Blight author of Race and Reunion, The Civil War in American Memory, points to the year 1865, just three weeks after the Confederate surrender that ended the Civil War. He points to this as the first Memorial Day observance. Hundreds of Union soldiers, most of them black, had been interred at a makeshift prison at the Washington Race Course and Jockey Club, now known as Hampton Park in Charleston, South Carolina. The conditions were terrible, and most died by disease and exposure, resulting in their burial in a mass grave. According to Blight, 28 black workmen went to the site, reburied the Union dead properly, and built a high fence around the cemetery. They whitewashed the fence and built an archway over the entrance on which they inscribed the words, Martyrs of the Race Course the burial ground no became known as Union Cemetery. Eric Johnson, a writer for the C Chicago Crusader, continues the story, sharing that about 10,000 blacks in cooperation with white missionaries staged an unforgettable parade, which included the 54th Massachusetts U.S. Colored Troops and the 21st U.S. Colored Infantry, singing liberation songs. They would eventually be joined by 3,000 black schoolchildren who led a parade procession carrying armloads of roses and singing. The children were followed by several hundred women with baskets and flowers, wreaths, and crosses. According to Blight, many parade spectators gathered at Union Cemetery's entrance, white and black together. There, black children sang patriotic songs and spirituals before several ministers read scriptures. What I am struck by is the communal response to death and a mass grave, the importance of collective grieving and the honoring of lives lived that comes with reburying the dead properly. While the subsequent parade can be understood as a celebration of the end of the war and the beginning of a new freedom 
the decorating of the graves and the picnics at graveside cannot be overlooked as anything other than expressions of grief and love. It is this communal grieving that brings us to observe Memorial Day each year, a desire to honor and mourn, to remember and support those left behind after the dead die. It is a way for the living to honor the price paid for the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and happiness that many of us enjoy. It is a reminder of the sheer enormity of the number of lives lost in a singular event or series of events. For the living, it is a tangible way we can say, as Sam said in his reflection, we will help shoulder the burden of grief. The need for communal grieving is what drives us to create ritual observances to remember the victims and rescuers of the 9-11 attacks and is what prompted President Biden and Vice President Harris's COVID-19 memorial service on the eve of their inauguration. In both of these instances, just as in war, those who died did not have full choice in the where and when of their death nor did their loved ones necessarily have the opportunity to gather their remains and mourn them properly. In this past year of not being able to gather in person for many a funeral, the importance of collective expressions of grief and memorialization have become all that much more clear to me. Perhaps because of my work in hospice, I find myself spending time talking with people about their deaths and the deaths of a loved one inviting them to reflect on the life lived and the ways they want to be remembered or remember their loved ones. I often find myself wondering what our Unitarian Universalist faith offers us at the time of a loved one's death or in the face of our own death. Our Unitarian Universalist faith offers us a framework of understanding heaven as paradise achievable here and now rather than something only attainable in the afterlife. Historically, our universalist forebearers offered us God's everlasting love with assurance that all will be welcomed into heaven. I trust in our universalist knowing of this unwavering holy love. It brings me comfort and it brings me relief. It reminds me that I am an active part of creating paradise, that I have a role to play in assuring all will be welcome. I am hopeful that this holy love has provided comfort to soldiers facing death on the battlefield, and I am hopeful that it brings comfort to you and yours. This holy love that is always available to us in times of need and in times of plenty, this holy love that reminds us that we are never alone, that we are interconnected in ways understood and unimaginable. Whether we call it love or God, spirit of life, or leave it unnamed, if we open ourselves to it, it is and can be all pervasive, calling us to our best selves and reminding us that life is complicated and messy and beautiful. And it reminds us that death also is complicated and messy and beautiful, just as in mourning and grieving. 
Like enemies faced by soldiers in war, COVID has been a devastating foe. And just as families whose loved ones die in war, those of us still living have nowhere to put our grief. We have no tangible enemy to blame. And like in times of war, we collectively are not just experiencing the loss of the lives of loved ones, but also the loss of jobs, loss of relationships, loss of freedom, loss of support systems. We cannot deny the inequities of those support systems, that just as the black Union soldiers experience different treatment than their white counterparts, we too must recognize that India, Nepal, Venezuela, so many countries around the world are still struggling and still waiting. We cannot ignore the increase in anti-Asian and anti-black hate crimes. We cannot understand them as people lashing out in grief and fear while simultaneously calling for systemic changes in society. But we cannot ignore they are happening, nor can we ignore the disparities in access to health care and vaccines. We cannot ignore the targeting of anti-trans legislation, nor the attempts at voter suppression, nor humanity's impact on the planet and climate. Our UU faith teaches us that we are an interconnected web, that what happens to one of us impacts all of us. This is true in justice, and this is true in grief. Our interconnectedness means that when we come together for collective grieving, we are not just grieving for the people we love, but all the people of the world. Let us then mourn, feel our grief, begin to untangle and also take moments to recognize the joy of being alive, of making it through a time of strife. That joy and grief can exist in the same moment, on the same day, that they are inextricably intertwined. Maybe this Memorial Day can teach us something important, to be bigger, an honoring of death, a celebration that science is starting to give us reprieve, and a reminder that all life is sacred. But also, let us remember the day for what it is meant to represent, a collective mourning for those soldiers who gave of their lives in war. Let us enjoy the freedoms we have with appreciation for their selfless act and with tenderness for those they leave behind. May it be so, and may we be the ones to make it so. Amen. Each other serve for services.
Before we end today, I want to invite all our viewers to virtual coffee hour, which will start immediately following the postlude. A link is available in the video description, the order of service, and posted in the chat. For fallen soldiers and family, we give thanks and praise. For the technology that brings us together, we give thanks and praise. For communities that hold us tethered to our best selves, we give thanks and praise. For all that is our life, we give thanks and praise. Go forth and offer your thanks and praise out into the world, embodying and living holy love. Amen. <laughs>